midlife. The Midwest. It's the middle class. The millennials. Baby boomers. West Coast. East Coast. The far right. The far left. What we need is some middle ground. Middle ground. Middle. Middle. Middle ground. Hello, groundlings. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Middle Ground. My name is Chris Otto. And I'm Chris Kelsch. Uh, congratulations. You found a couple of guys on the internet just trying to uh, sort it all out and find some balance. So thank you, nice listeners. Job. Yeah. Congrats to you. <laughs> thank you. Well done. Uh, our guest this week, uh, really cool, uh, very different. Uh, he he hosts the con- and this is true. He hosts uh, a concert series in a very unique place. Uh, what unique place room. would that be, Chris? His living room. Now I know we've his all living room. <laughs> That's crazy. Who does that? Friends of you. Yeah, <laughs> that, exactly. That, no, yeah, a lot of people dream about it. He went and did it. It's almost like I would like, love uh, to have a concert in my living room. Damn it. And it's right here in suburban Chicago in the Evanston and Skokie area. So, you, um, Well, you're in suburban Chicago. I, however, am coming to our listeners from the beautiful metropolis of Cass City, Michigan. Population about, oh, 16 people. Um, <laughs> Which is a suburb of Port Huron. Exactly. It's a, it's a suburb. It's, it's, well, it's kind of a bedroom community. You know how it yeah. goes. Uh, hey, before we get to any of our entertaining content, though, I just want to beg and plead with our listeners to go to iTunes and review us with a five-star rating and talk about how fabulous uh, our voices are in your ears, in your headphones, and the comedy that we bring to your lives, and the, and the fascinating guests that we bring to your lives that you otherwise would not have an opportunity to speak to or listen to. We're, we're bringing Every- them into your head. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone has within them an inner zagat. <clears throat> that wants to review things and talk about wait, things. Wait, wait, wait. What did you call me? An inner zagat. <laughs> you know the what? Zagat I'll beat your ass, motherfucker. I'll beat your ass. What did you say? You can't do that in this day and age. But uh, <laughs> the inner zagat, everyone wants to be a critic. Everyone wants to review. And now this is your chance. Uh, the, and there's a reason for this. If you do go to iTunes and review us and talk about us, that helps us with uh, popularity and different things like that. That's, and that's right. what and, we're trying to get done and, here. And so. we're not stupid. We know you're listening in your car while you're driving to work or you're listening while you're on the damn treadmill while you're working out. Keep your knees up, by the way. Keep moving. <laughs> um, or you're just sitting there with nothing else to do but your little earbuds in your ears listening to us and enjoying having two men in your head at this moment, well, you know what? Payback. Go to iTunes, review us, give us a five-star rating, and say how much you love having these two male voices in your head. I think we'd appreciate it. And if you do that, I promise you listeners that in your head is where Chris and I will stay. We won't try and venture anywhere else. That's where it'll be. It'll it'll begin and end there. That's all we want. It's just your brain's not your bodies. Exactly. You know, we've had some really cool guests. have had some really unique stories. And uh, the greatest source for all of this stuff really is you people out there. So if you got some great ideas for guests and people with unique stories, it could be you, could be someone you know, a family member, by all means, email us at uh, Chris and Chris MG at gmail.com. That's Chris and Chris. That's not an ad side. That's Chris and A-N-D, Chris MG at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your suggestions and and we'll just keep doing it. We'll keep finding uh, fascinating, interesting people out there that are really trying to do some cool stuff. And so. we've got some cool people lined up for the next few weeks, so it's it's exciting. Stick with us. It does. Uh, and I just want to give a shout-out. We, we were looking at our stats earlier, and SoundCloud allows us to see who's listening, where they're, where they're listening from. Shout-out to anyone outside the U.S. 
What is going on? Uh, hola. To all the ships at sea. To our servicemen <laughs> we'll serving <laughs> overseas. Yes. Yeah, welcome to Middle Ground from wherever you are. Israel, Algeria, the Russian Federation, France, uh, the Maldive Islands. It, from all over the world, people are listening to Middle Ground. And, and frankly, we're doing our best to move society to a better place. Yeah, and I, we're getting them from countries that, frankly, I didn't even know existed anymore. Latvia. I thought that one got folded into one of the other ones. I could be wrong on that, but uh, we're not making this up, actually. Chris is No, it's right. true. Um, we're, we're being heard all true. over the we world. Got, yeah. Well, we got to get to it. Get to it. So what, what's going on this week, man? How are you doing? I haven't talked to you in a while. What's going on? Battling a cold and a bad cough, so I'm not at my best uh, on the podcast. My apologies. And because the weather in Chicago, for those of you listening from across the world, hasn't changed yet. It's still in the 50s and hasn't hit 60 and it's just really cold and miserable here and now this is the going into the third week of may it is ridiculous well, so if I, <laughs> there you go there's your cough there's your well, I'll, I'll edit and, that uh, shit out i've had I'm enough editing your coughs yeah. out uh, but I, I, <laughs> I say leave them in they're so authentic <laughs> i just want to say something to mother nature so today it was a beautiful day here in cast city uh i actually took the bold step of taking off the hard top from my jeep and replacing it with the soft top so mother nature kiss my ass because I'm ready for the warm weather. None of this frost bullshit overnight anymore. Let's just get to it. Let's get to the summer. Let's get to the humidity and the heat. I'm ready. The soft top is on. Uh, so that's usually the first indication that uh, the weather has turned. But it hasn't really turned permanently yet, and we're waiting for it to do that. So we're in the final stages of uh, boredom and uh, wistfulness. I imprisonment. Guess I call so. it imprisonment. Imprisonment. Yeah, yeah it's a good it's way true. of putting it. It's true. So. Louise! Yeah, we need uh open the Tinder box, please. Thank you. Oh, Thank you. You know what that means, groundlings. It's Tinder time. Our weekly update into Chris's dating life. What do you got for us, man? What's going on? We got a uh, a little hitch in the thing. I have to um remember I told you a couple of weeks ago I almost burnt my face off trying to fix that sore. Oh. Well, the sore on my face is now infected. It's disgusting, and I have to have it removed by a professional, i.e. a dermatologist. But that's it. Like, when you got this thing on your face, like, I think it's a real turnoff. No one wants to see you with this. I I guess the only, my only uh, last line of defense would be to go out literally and go buy uh, some makeup and put some skin... um, skin tone makeup on the thing. So I'm on the sidelines right now. I'm not happy about it. This isn't the... um weeping open sore on your face update this is the tinder update what does that have to do with anything i feel like at some point they're gonna have to see me and i'm self-conscious about okay, it okay well here and, here's uh, my advice I, I don't know this might seem a little obscure or i don't you didn't think about this maybe put some pictures up that don't have the sore on your face it's not that it's how confident are you in getting out and about and meeting people because even if you know, okay, you see my pictures, but let's say we have a drink or meet. You're going to meet a guy with a big, ugly sore on his face. So, so that's bas- it's all coming. Basically, to that. what you're saying is there's no Tinder update this week. There's no. That's what I'm saying. This is a comedic way of saying I have nothing for you. <laughs> Close it up. Close it up. Get the guitar players back in. The, you know, I know you guys are having a good. They're playing cards in the break room with the with the guitar players. <laughs> yeah. It's close. Yeah. No, there's no update. No, he didn't do anything. No dates. He's got a sore on his face. Hit it, fellas. (laughs) 
also, we would be remiss if we didn't mention uh, his assholeness himself, uh, <laughs> the man who everyone seems to think is going to be president of the United States in a few months. And I can't believe I'm even saying that. But uh, you say his name. I don't even want to say his name. His name is Donald God J. Damn Trump it. in the great state of New York. Uh, he's made some money in real estate over the years. I don't know how that qualifies a man to be president. Uh, apparently he made $557 million last year. That's what everyone's telling us today. That's what we can't get away from. Keyword is, yeah, the keyword is apparently. <laughs> but I'll stick by my theory. I don't think he wants the job. I really don't. I think when he, re- I think he is just as surprised as any of us where he is now. And now I think he's jazzed that, holy shit, I could be the most powerful man in the world. I could be the most, I could run the, the entire, you know, free world. And, uh, I think that, you know, gets his, gets him off. Right. And, and he's living in this bizarre world where he's not paying any consequences for being wrong or for being mean or for being inaccurate, or for not even being, you know, or not even presenting thoughtful answers to questions or anything like that. He's not paying any price for that. He's living in a fake world right now. It's crazy. I saw the other day that like 9%, 8, 8% or 9% of America voted in the primaries, right? Split that up roughly half and half between the Republicans and the Democrats. And then let's, let's be charitable and say that Trump got 40% on average support in each of the state primaries, which is way high. Some of them, he only got like 25%. Some of them, he actually lost, but let's give him 40%. So if he got 40% of the Republicans, which is only half of that 9% that voted, that's a very thin sliver of America that's vote that that's actively supporting Trump right now. Now let's, Let's say that most of those are the typical Trump voter, which I think is widely established to be white, angry, middle class males. Okay. Right? I mean, he's clearly kicking everyone's ass in the white 35 to 60, 65 age range. Let's just give him that. But when it comes to the general election, when you get everybody voting or all the people who are likely voters and you get the Hispanics and you get the blacks and you get women and you get millennials and you get older people and you get Asian people and all the I mean, I think there is a real possibility that this could be a devastating landslide defeat for Donald Trump. And everyone will look at each other and go, what the fuck happened? How could we have been so wrong? And it's because he's so volatile. He's so interesting. He's so controversial. The press is all over him every single day. So we think our impression is that he's dominating everything. But really, when it comes to it, how many people are actually going to vote for him? <laughs> yeah, they have a they they have a genuine math problem, and I don't I don't see how it gets solved. It just it just isn't. So I don't know. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Louise is jumping up and down. What? Yeah, I see. Oh, the red uh, the the red light is flashing. The bat phone here. So so we have this phone here. Uh, normally reserved for VIPs, and it's never actually rung before. I didn't know this. Uh, hold on one second. Middle ground. This is Chris. Can I help you? Hello. Which Chris do I have here? Uh, yeah, this 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 is Chris Otto. You're calling from a 212. Louise, where's 212 area code? Calling from the greatest city in the world, the best. This Ch- is Donald Trump. I'm 
talking to uh, wow. Middle Ground here. I want to talk with Chris and Chris. Wow, uh, Mr. Mr. Trump. Yeah. Well, this is uh, this is a great pleasure to talk to you. Um, congratulations on yes. on all your success. You're 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 having a decent week. Yes, we we just found out uh, we're uh, Hillary's lead is evaporated. Uh, we're tied with her in the polls. We're really going to make America great again. And I just wanted to reach out to a couple of middle-aged white guys and just say I'm I'm with you. You you two and me. Uh, we're on the same team. We're going to make this country great again. This is home base for me, you two guys, middle-aged white guys. I can't say enough. I thank you for your support, but uh, this is just the well, beginning. Well, Mr. Uh, Trump, I, with all due respect, I, I really appreciate you calling in to the podcast, but we're actually not very big fans of yours at all. Uh, and despite the fact that we are middle-aged white guys, uh, we're angry, but we're not angry enough to vote for you. Yeah, that's not a problem. I think a lot of people basically think they think like that, but at the end of the day, they love me. I mean, everybody loves me, and I'm not worried about that. Right now, you might not like me, but believe me, you'll love me. Everybody loves me. The Chinese love me. You know, we're taking this country back, and uh, and, I, and I need people like, like you and the other Chris to really, us three together, have to do it. I have to tell you, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts, especially the sports ones, and I just love the, the stories of people that want to make this country great again. Artists, entertainers, journalists, all of them are my type of people. I will not let you know how to contact either Amanda Gavin or M or Rachel. I don't know if you listen to those episodes. I've listened but... to them, and I can tell you right now, they all have something in common. They're women. They love me, and I love them. <laughs> you know, I treat them can... very well. And we have a fantastic report. And I plan to have a great relationship with all of those women. The New York Times article that came out was not very complimentary about your dealings with women in your company and in your personal life. What is your response to the criticism about your treatment of women? I want to uh, address that in a second. But before I get to that, just a, a quick thing. We've got a couple of new products we're launching. I want to tell you about we've got Trump Steaks <laughs> coming out. And we've got a new line of, uh, this is fantastic. From If you've been to my uh, my restaurants at Trump Trump, we've got a new line of some fish uh get it flown in every day. It's very fresh and frozen. I think it's halibut or something like that. And we're, we're having that as well. So Trump steaks, Trump fish, and then a new line of, uh, of red wine. It's a, it's a Pinot Noir. Mr. Trump, can I interrupt for just a second? See, this is actually a tactic that I've observed many times over the past few months. When you're asked a tough question, you sort of you sort of divert the journalist's attention with uh, a, a non sequitur or an irrelevant answer of, of some kind. So I recognize what you're doing, and I'm going to direct you back to the question I asked you about your treatment of women. Absolutely. And I know that uh, you and Chris uh, have both spent a considerable amount of time in Chicago. Stop by Trump Tower. It's right there on Wabash, just north of the river. It's a five-star I know where hotel. it is. Thank you. I, I know where Fantastic. it is. Thank you. Fantastic yeah, restaurant. You can't, you can't miss it. It says it and says Trump in 15-foot high letters. Absolutely. I know where it is. I want people to know that's my name on there. I stand by my name, and, uh, and people love me. The women you mentioned uh, have all eaten in okay. my restaurants. And all right, I, I, I see what's happening here. I see, you're doing it again. I see what's happening. Okay, then let me ask you this. I'm going to try to ask another tough question. So in the tradition of first ladies, Jackie Kennedy, Nancy Reagan— uh, Barbara Bush, uh, even Michelle, Michelle Obama has been a terrific first lady. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you'd agree. Uh, what kind of legacy do you think Melania or Melena or whatever her name is 
Uh, what what would she leave behind if she were to become first lady? Uh, I think she's going to do a lot of work with uh, Eastern European models that have been brought into this country uh, unfairly and work with them to try and get established in the modeling industry and get them established in the entertainment field and introduce them to the top people. All the top people love me, but the top people in Sports Illustrated, Vogue, Vanity Fair, all these, I have great relationships with all these people. Uh, so she's going to have a, a huge platform. Well, I, I'm sure that's a population that will be very pleased then. I want to get to some more important issues in terms of policy. Um, how do you propose to deal with the North Koreans, ISIS, uh, Iraq, Syria, Saudi Arabia, some, some of the hot spots around the globe uh, where a lot of people are very nervous about how you're going to interact with some of these leaders because of your temper and your demeanor when you don't get your way. Uh, do you think that's going to be an issue? No, it's not. I have great relationships with the North Koreans. Uh, I, in fact, have bought several of their um, stereos throughout the uh, <laughs> course of the evolution of the country, or maybe that was South Korea, but they, they know me, they love me. Uh, I have, my ties are made in China, so I've got great relations with the Chinese. Um, as far as ISIS... Have you, have, you, the, have you had great relations with Chinese? Yeah, I have great relationships with, uh, with uh, yeah. Sun Young Poon and some of the other ones. <laughs> and uh, as far as the other countries, ISIS, Saudi Arabia, uh, I'm still learning about where those are on the map, but in time, uh, I'm going to have great relationships with those people. Well, I, I have no doubt. And uh, Mr. Trump, I want to thank you for calling in to the show today. It's been a great honor, and uh, and good luck to you in the future. I'd uh, like to be a regular contributor. I can come on and do uh, sports <laughs> updates or weather, whatever you guys need. Absolutely. Keep me in Absolutely. mind for future shows. A thank you. Actually, and please give our best to Melania. Uh, we'd like to have her on at some point if she can speak English. Would love to, and I'll tell Malinka as well. I think Malinka's the daughter. <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, th thanks, Mr. Trump. Thanks, I appreciate guys. it. All right. Goodbye. Wow, that was interesting, Chris. Uh, he's a lot more different. Yeah, that Donald uh, Trump. Whoa. Hang on. Louise is waving her arms again. What? No, oh, the phone. The phone is ringing again. This is. It's also. Another oh, this is. It's another two one two. Actually, it's. Uh, it's the it's same the number. Same, it's not the same number. It's off by a digit. But let me. Uh, let me grab it here. Hold on. Okay. Uh, middle ground. This is Chris. Can I help you? Yeah. This is John Miller. Trump's publicist. John, John, nice to talk to you. Hi, uh, this is Middle Ground Podcast. We, I'm sure you know, we we actually just spoke to your boss, Mr. Trump, a moment ago. Yeah. Uh, th thanks for calling. What Thank what you. can I do for you? I'm just calling to clarify some of the things that uh, he mentioned and talked about, and I just want to clarify some of the things uh, he talked about. Uh, if I could just, he has great relations with women. And uh, just to clarify on that last point, he does know where Saudi Arabia and ISIS are are at on the map, and he's do, does, does he know does he know that ISIS is actually is not a country? It's it's a an organization. Does he realize that? Or? Yeah, he, he realizes that, and he just wants to stress that he has great relations with ISIS, and that when he takes office. That uh, you know, everyone loves him, and he imagines that uh, ISIS will love him as well. And uh, I think when ISIS hears his plans to make America great again, I think everyone over in that part of the world is probably just going to fall in line. John Miller, John Barron, is it? What John was your Miller. name again? I'm, I'm the Miller. Publicist. Yeah. 
Okay, public. Okay, uh, you, you know, there's been a lot of talk this week uh, about the fact that you are actually Donald Trump posing as his own publicist with the fake name of John Miller. How how do you respond to that? Well, we're not the same person. Um, I uh, I've known Donald Trump for a long time, and in fact, I've been with him on many of his conquests. Uh, but I can tell you that. Uh, wait, 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 wait! You've been with him on many of his conquests. Is right. this? Are you again talking about his relations with uh, some of the women he's been with? These were amazing women, women that loved him, women that you and your partner, uh, your podcast partner, would probably die for. I appreciate that, Mr. Miller, and uh, again, I, I appreciate your honesty because you're obviously a very truthful and uh, upstanding character, and uh, and I'm glad you're a friend of the show. Absolutely. Did Donald mention the steaks? Uh, he did. He did. Trump steaks, Trump wine. Uh, yeah, Trump, okay. yeah, he did. Got it. Covered. He, All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for calling, John. John Miller. Wow. Interesting. Alrighty. What? Well, what? he was fun. <laughs> you handled that well. Thank you. I, I don't know if it's me. I don't know how you feel. Is it me or or did they sound very similar? With all those New York guys, they all sound the same to me. Do you have a dick pic this week? I have a couple of dick pics. I do. I do. I've got one really good one. All right. You you um, go. Can I go first? You go first. Yeah. Go ahead. I want to hear yours. Mine is. Uh, Alabama Senator Phil Williams. We've all had this uh, sort of a nationwide, not a nationwide discussion, but a lot of people, apparently it's a hot topic, the transgender bathrooms, everyone's offering solutions. His wonderful solution, Senator out of Alabama, I think from Rainbow City, Alabama, um, his solution was to, uh, yes, we can have transgender bathrooms, but there has to be an attendant there. That's his great idea. I don't know how you would begin to finance something like that. I don't know how many bathroom attendants there would be across the world or across the country, I should say. But that, without a doubt, goes down as the stupidest proposal I have ever heard put forth, either in a legislative scenario or business scenario or whatever. That's his That's his solution to it. Thank you, Alabama, for that contribution. What a dick. I have a dick pic. But I have a dilemma because it's a tie this week between Woody Allen and uh, Megyn Kelly. Woody Allen, I have to say, uh, you know, was at the Cannes Film Festival in France last weekend and was peppered with questions about the the op-ed that his daughter, or Mia Farrow's daughter, ran in the New York Times recently, uh, stating that Woody Allen abused her as a child, sexually abused her as a child. He refuses to talk about it, refuses to answer questions, refuses to acknowledge salacious accusations, and uh, wants to keep things focused on his new film. This is his daughter that accused him, or, or Mia Farrow's daughter, his ex-wife's daughter. What a dick. Megyn Kelly, though, I, you know, this this special, I know she's trying to become the next Barbara Walters, capitalize on her 15 minutes of fame. You know, this whole fight with Trump she's had over the last six months, she's using it to propel her career forward. I get that. That's fine. I don't know if you watched that interview that they've been talking about for a week. 
um, or two weeks, the one-on-one sit-down with Megyn Kelly about their you know big feud. It was horrible. She threw him softballs. She didn't ask him anything serious. She really went the Barbara Walters route and asked him about you know personal family things. She kissed his ass, which is what she's been sort of accusing all other journalists of doing for the last six months. And then at the end of the show, my jaw literally fell to the floor. She gave a promo for her new book. And she, she gave information about how to pre-order her new book coming out. And then she mentioned, and yes, it does talk about my feud with Donald Trump over the last six months. For the first time, I'm going to reveal my side of the story. I felt like it was a paid commercial, a 60-minute paid commercial for didn't. her career and for her. What a dick. Megyn Kelly and Woody Allen, both of you this week are my dick pics. Dick pics. Dick pics. All right, let's get to the real meat of our program because, you know, frankly, everybody fast forward past you and me bantering anyways. Uh, So if you fast forwarded here, you've arrived. This is the part where we introduce the guest. And this guest uh, I'm personally very excited about. He is a singer. He's a songwriter. He's a dad. He's a husband. And granted, he's a corporate sellout, uh, but you got to make money somehow. He's got a corporate job at a pharmaceutical company, of all things. But aside from that, and in spite of that, he literally is one of the most creative people I've ever met. He and his wife host a home concert series where they have touring bands, local acts, musicians, artists, poets, writers in their living room for concerts, showcases, uh, poetry slams, and and whatever other events they can dream up. Uh, and they just have a modest home. Yeah, the guy literally took his living room, visualized it, and said, we're going to build a stage here. We're going to turn this into a stage. And uh, he's been featured on the uh, the CBS affiliate here in Chicago, WBBM Channel 2, Vince Gerasoli did a, a, a profile on them. I think that's probably still online. Yeah, it's good stuff. And when they have these events, their living room is referred to as the pig and weasel. It's uh, it's an arts incubator and a home concert series there in Skokie, Evanston area. Todd is a dreamer. He's always trying to imagine ways to inspire, to entertain, and to express himself. And one of the beautiful things about him is that he raised a family, four kids and his wife, uh, and they do the exact same thing. They live their life the same way that he does. So I'm very proud to present uh, a guy I've known for over 30 years. So a rousing middle ground welcome for Todd Rogers. Welcome to Middle Ground, man. It's nice to have you here. Welcome, Todd. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. So I want to jump right in with the Pig and Weasel because uh, five years you've been doing this, concerts in your living room, basically. The first question would be, how did you get the idea? Why invite people into your living room to see a live band? It started out um, with uh, Midlife Crisis. By the time I turned 40, um, a couple things were going along. One was my my wife's a writer. And she had been doing an article about this phenomenon, um, which was kind of a remake of the the salon movement, and people were doing concerts in their house. Um, what do you mean the, had, the salon movement? What do you mean by that? My understanding is back in um, Europe, back in the day, um, people would invite people, 
to their houses for these salon concerts, and so it would be um, in a in a room, and you know all those things that you see on like Downtown Abbey and stuff like oh, that. Oh, so so you're thinking of like Amadeus when Mozart's playing in the uh, in the parlor there for you know sixteen really wealthy, sophisticated <laughs> people in white wigs. Is that what you mean? That's yeah, that's what we tie to historically. That's exactly <laughs> it, and it's not much different actually. Um, yeah, so she was she was kind of investigating that, and then a, another buddy of mine, an, another Chris, actually Chris Lando. Chris started dragging me to. There were a, a number of house concerts actually in the Chicagoland area. There was one out in Oak Park. There was one up in Zion, uh, and we started going. And I got the idea that hey, this this is fun. So when my wife asked me what she, what I wanted to do for uh, my fortieth birthday party, I, I said uh, I want a captive audience, and so. She went about planning what turned out to be our first house concert. We cleared out all the furniture out of the, the living room and the dining room area. We, we are in Evanston, Skokie, in one of those kind of rambling two flats with the L-shaped living room, dining room, and then the bedrooms in, in the back. Um, and then we invited a bunch of our friends from church primarily at that time. And uh, I had written a bunch of songs that had kind of been untested. Hadn't really played them out, so she hired a backup band to play my songs with me, and that that was the that was our first concert. And when it was over, I was I was like totally high. I was like, "This is amazing! I want to keep doing this." That is so cool. I guess I did. So for your fortieth birthday, you asked for a captive audience, and she arranged for you to play your songs in front of a band, in front of an audience of your friends and family in your living room. That was that was her her gift to you on your fortieth. Yeah, that's really cool. I think so. Yeah. But then I wanted to keep keep going with it, and so that took a little more negotiation because some of the hard things about having concerts in your home is you get you you got forty to fifty strangers coming into your house, and you know you have to clean, you have to put all kinds of parameters around where people can go, and usually there's food involved, so it can be it can be pretty stressful on the family. So when you first started, what was the vision? Once every once in a while, once a month. How often were you going to do it? Uh, it was kind of the Kevin Costner, if you build it, they will come thing. I had no idea. I just wanted to start. Yeah. You know, I was 40. I felt like <laughs> I was running out of time. I was just anxious to start something, anything. What, was your 40th birthday really that impactful for you? You felt like, wow, I, I got to get moving. I'm My life's almost over. I got to do something here. So I'm going to throw some concerts in my house. Well, yeah, kind of at the time, I was in one of those IT jobs where I just wasn't I wasn't feeling um, seen in the job. I wasn't feeling like I was accomplishing anything. I, I had kind of fallen into that career path. I didn't feel like anything creative was going on in my life, even though, you know, back in the day, Chris, from our previous life, um, you know, there was a lot of creativity going on early, yeah. early on. And I thought that that was going to turn out differently. And it didn't up until that point. So Chris and I actually have talked about this when we started this podcast, because you do sort of get into life mode or earning money mode and take a regular job or sell out to the corporate world or, you know, whatever we end up doing. And after a while, depending on the kind of a person you are and Todd, all three of us here are the same kind of person, you start to really miss being creative. Right. I mean, Chris, you talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that when we started the podcast and it started going well, it was distracting you at work during the day because it was the best thing you had going. Right. And it still is. I might add. That's probably not going to change, Chris, just to let you know, just to update you on where you're at. Todd, you probably feel the same way. But um, 
tell me about the instruments you played. I'm just curious about the physics of it. I mean, like, did you play, like, how many, I know, I know you wrote the songs, but when it came to performing the songs, what did you actually perform? I'm kind of a self-taught guitar hack like a lot of guys so i would i would just start with a guitar and then the other people we, we hired someone who played piano we hired um a bass um i think there was a percussionist there maybe had a sh small kit so and this is again i'm 49 almost 50 so this is going back 10 years um i'd never really had that experience before i'd never been in a band i mean i've been in choirs and stuff but todd you're being way too modest todd and i went to high school together but his father mr to me mr rogers <laughs> Was yeah exactly the neighborhood jokes were always around, but Mr. Rogers was the head of the choral department at our high school. So Todd has an innate musical ability and talent that he grew up with all his life in a musical family. And uh, you know you're being modest, Todd. It's not like you sat in your room as an introvert picking out a guitar. I mean you were singing all your life pretty much, right? Yeah, I'm just like Prince. <laughs> yeah, just like Prince, exactly. Do you uh, invite bands to uh, audition, or how do you actually sign and book bands to come in and play with you guys? Well, when we started, it was mostly like open open mics with friends that we knew in the community or at church, and and then uh, this other Chris, who's who's my sound guy too. Um, he had in a former life he'd been a promoter of some bands, and so he was always stocking. Uh, some of the bands on their Facebook, and when they would come through, he'd say, hey, you know, we've got this house concert series, uh, so if, you, if you're looking for a place to play. So one, one of the people that, that uh, we, we were stalking is this woman, Jen Grinnell. Highly energetic. She's out of um, California. She does a great show, gets everybody involved. So that was our first, like, touring act that came through. Everybody else had been local or, or like I said, open mic type stuff. And then once she played, everybody that was at her level and had seen, you know, they, they go on her website and they say, well, where did Jen play? Well, we'll try and play there next. And that just kept happening. For example, um, through a series of personal connections, we were able to get Eddie Holstein to play. So Eddie Holstein is a local known guy. He and his brother used to have a, a bar called Holstein's, which was a, a folk music mainstay in Chicago and, and you know, a lot of big people came through there. He's still uh, playing in Chicago, and so he played at, at our house. Um, great show, good time. But then about a week later, I got an email from this guy, Roy Bookbinder. Roy Bookbinder is an old blues guy out of the Bronx who had toured with <laughs> Rev Reverend Gary Davis back in the 60s and 70s, and he goes around on his on his tour bus, or uh, I guess it's, it's more like an RV, and he plays at different places. So he, he sends me this email. He says, yeah, you know, my, my friend Eddie saw him play at your place, and I was wondering if I could play at your place too. Well, he thought we were a bar. <laughs> so he was asking me you know, where he can park his RV. Is it all right to park it behind the bar? And I'm like, you know, we worked it out. He came. He gave a great show. But, but that keeps happening where someone sees that someone else that they know played, and so then now it's – People are asking us all the time. Todd, talk a little bit about what you did to outfit your living room. What did you have to do to it to accommodate these concerts? The first thing that we did was we built a stage. We worked with a friend of ours um, who had done a lot of work with Red, Red Moon Theater downtown as, as kind of a builder type. And he was an instructional, uh, not instructional, industrial designer. And he built uh, a stage for us that was in pieces. So it allows us to build different stage footprints 
for different sized bands. We got stage curtains. So the, the curtains in the front of the living room, uh, there's a picture window behind that face the street are these real thick stage curtains or velvet curtains. And then about halfway up from the stage towards the middle of the living room, I cut up in between the joists in the ceiling and made a pocket. We had it drywalled in and then I put a light bar in there. So we've got stage lighting and then recess uh, stage lighting. We've across got recess. The top of your living that, room. That's exactly right. Recess stage lighting. And then uh, I got a PA system. So when they come in, it's very much feels like a small club. We also put picture rail all the way around the space with track lighting so that one of the things that we try to do is, is pair a visual artist with the, the performing artist thematically. When you first did this, were you in violation of any ordinances or anything like that? Did you have to apply for certain permits within either the uh, Evanston or Skokie Township, or was that all? Well, we, we follow the standard house concert protocol, which is people get in by RSVP, so we're inviting mostly people that we know or people who have joined our community through our Facebook site, Friends of Friends. We don't actually sell anything. So there's a, a suggested donation, and all of it goes to the performers. It, it's kind of like a BYOB potluck situation. So when people come in to, to see a show, they'll come downstairs. I'll get the bar stash going with a couple bottles of wine. People will bring in wine. We'll have cookies. People will bring in cookies. It's kind of like a church potluck sort of a thing in that respect, if your church allowed you to bring alcohol. And then they go up for the first set. It's about 45 minutes, 50 minutes. They come downstairs for another 15, 20 minutes to just talk. They go up for another 45 minutes, 50 minutes. They come down, talk to the talent some more, and it's all over in about two hours. We don't make a lot of noise. The people are all yep. respectful. In terms of zoning, we haven't really violated anything. Did you have to do any sort of greasing the skids there with your neighbors before the first couple of shows just to say, hey, this is what's going to be going on when you see all the lights and the music? A number of our neighbors are, are professional musicians, so that helped. Yeah, that and helps. then right at the very beginning, we were lucky enough to get discovered by Vince Gerasoli of Channel 2, and he did a piece on us. For those not in Chicago, so Channel 2, CBS affiliate in there yep. in Chicago? Yeah. WVVM, yeah, CBS. So yeah, so you guys were featured on uh, as part of the, the evening news? Uh, no, it was early morning. The early morning, morning show. If you YouTube Channel 2, Pig and Weasel, you'll see a video snippet in time of us at the very beginning. And the people in the audience are all our neighbors. So that just kind of set the tone with everybody. Other than the music, you've had other arts come in. Didn't, you've had poetry readings. And what are some of the other things that you've done that weren't necessarily a band or an artist? We've done a number of film festivals. We did a dinner theater event once, some poetry slams, done a couple workshops. You are probably one of the more creative, openly willing to just try anything kind of people that I've ever met. And you've raised your kids that way. Your wife, Monica, and you have raised your kids that way. Can you tell us what they're doing, what they're up to, and what they're trying to achieve? because they're dreamers just like you guys. Our oldest is Emily. She's an actress here in Chicago. Her thing was dance. Very early on, she was accepted into the Ruth Page School of Dance, downtown Chicago. She kind of chose to go an alternative route. She just started trying out for things, got into a number of smaller storefront theater type productions, took her knocks, worked really, really hard. She was she was doing modeling for Stuart Talent. She was in some commercial 
teaching theater. Pretty successful, relatively steady theater career and actress. And then you've got uh, three boys. Talk a little bit about Ethan's following kind of the same path, right? We were talking earlier today. Ethan went to Bard College out in New York. He and his troop of actor friends, they, they formed a company. They graduate next weekend, and then they're all moving um, to Brooklyn, and they've got this theater company called Church of the Millennials, and they're going to make theater and probably eat beans and rice for a while. <laughs> so he's doing the starving New York theater thing. If you're going to do the starving New York thing, that's 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 hardcore. That's, you know, that if you're is. living in Brooklyn, you're living uh, probably paying uh, thousands and thousands of dollars to live in a square room. It's crazy. Actually, that brings up a good point. Todd, I want you to talk a little bit about, uh, I know for a while, Emily was living in sort of an artist's communal commune, I guess, with a bunch of people. And I don't know if Ethan moved into that house and and lived there for a while, too. Talk a little bit about that living situation. And I, I know you were a big fan of that at the time, too. I guess it's the second oldest standing firehouses in Chicago was renovated and turned into kind of a, a live workspace. And it's called the firehouse. And there are a bunch of late 20, early 30s artists living there in commune they're all really cool various various art backgrounds a couple actors a couple kind of producer types a photographer was there for a while a painter todd can i just ask real quickly do they accept middle-aged men because chris and i are looking for a place to really call home and broadcast out of and that's what chris was getting at because when i when i used to go and hang out i'd be like i want to live here this is awesome i didn't want to it was totally the dream of living community with people who are creative and sharing things and kind of dematerializing they didn't have a lot of worldly goods but there there was a lot of connection there they would like record albums there they had these amazing parties where everybody would perform and i got to perform a couple times so yeah, it was a great place. And Ethan did live there. Ethan, when he came home last summer, he lived there. A bunch of them worked on a food truck together. <laughs> I was wow. going to say, what were the jobs? Because uh, I've never heard of a commune in a city before. I mean, I've heard of communes where you're like, you have to pick apples and stuff. But I want to know what you do at a commune in Chicago. But food truck, I like it. Wait, wait, a commune where you pick apples? What the Absolute, hell are you talking you, about? I've never if, heard of that. If you work at a commune, you have to you do some kind of physical labor. Correct me if I'm wrong, Todd, but if you're doing something because you're kind of living off the land. But what I'm saying is in a, in a commune in a big city, I don't know what you would well, do. it wasn't a commune like a kibbutz. It was uh, everybody had their own... <laughs> You know what? This is this is our twelfth episode. That's the first time the word kibbutz has ever been used on Middle Ground. So I just want to note yeah. that everybody is in charge of their own purse and their own expenses. But they what they did was they lived together. They paid the rent together. They split the utilities. They split some of the house cleaning jobs. They did a lot of uh, partying together and and kind of creative activities together. There was a um, formed a little theater company called One Checkoff where every year they, the group of them would do a different checkoff play, but they'd do it like seven different times, the same play, and then they would switch the roles. They, you know, they would just kind of stand the whole thing on its head so that you could see every possible conceivable configuration. I wanted to be there the, the night they tried it as a musical and as a comedy or some combination of, of both because you, you haven't lived till you've seen checkoff done that way. 
Or as a burlesque show. Well, uh, <laughs> some of those yes. later ones did feel a little bit like a burlesque show. Just the idea of living like that and sitting around with a bunch of people that you're sharing a house with and saying, it's like Mickey Rooney in those old black and white movies with Judy Garland. Hey, let's put on a show. And let's uh, let's all switch roles. I mean, what what a life that would be that to have the freedom. I want to be on the right dress yeah, this time. Absolutely. Yeah. This is why I think you're so interesting, Todd. You and I grew up in a very non-diverse, homogenous, white, middle-class suburb of Grand Rapids, Michigan, which itself is a very conservative city. We basically grew up in similar neighborhoods, but you have such a different view of the universe and your dreams are so different and you've raised your children to have those same kind of dreams and to be able to pursue avenues of expression that are unique to them, unique to their voice. And, you know, even now, and you're, I mean, you mentioned you went through a midlife crisis like we all did and you came out of it creating a, a center for the arts in your own home where you've got visual artists coming in and musical artists coming in and theater coming in. It's, it just, you constantly amaze me that you've got all of this creativity swirling around you all the time. What do you attribute that to? I mean, it's, is it from your parents? Is it, where does it come from? Uh, it's just desperation. <laughs> I'm totally serious. I mean, I'm sure there's some aspect of providence to it, but uh, it hit me life and I was desperate to start something. And, and my partner, Monica, was kind of feeling the same thing at the same time. So she's she's worked hard to start a bunch of things, too. We had a similar thing happen in parallel. So about midlife for me, um, I lost my job. Um, and, and had to start consulting. Um, but for a while, you know, I was out of work. And in a similar way, she was a writer and the print media um, tanked, you know, after the crash. So she had to reinvent herself too. So we were both in this desperate space to, to start something, anything, and, and try and accomplish something on that path so that we wouldn't feel like it was all a waste. Now, I mean, our kids, we love our kids, and so we, we'd always have that. But then beyond that, yeah. you know, we didn't want to just have nine to five jobs and and have it that be it, you know, that we, well, we completed 30 years at this one company or something like that. You did have a nine to five job, or you still do have a nine to five job, and I. But you're kind of kind of a technology project manager kind of a guy, and have been doing that for a long time for larger companies. But there's this other side of your personality that really, like you said, I guess it's desperate to be creative. How do you constantly, day by day, reconcile those two things? Because you make your living, and you guys have had a pretty decent living. You Obviously, you own a home in which you have these concerts, and your day job is paying the bills. But you've got all this other stuff swirling around after 5 o'clock in the evenings. How do you reconcile those two every day? When I was an IT project manager, it was a little bit harder because a lot of the projects were more focused on execution. What I didn't realize at the time was I was kind of slowly learning how to be a producer, how to take an idea for something I didn't even really care about, help organize the activity of a bunch of people to make it happen so that when I started to find things I did care about, I had those skills I could fall back on. And, and now 
I'm not doing IT project management anymore as much as I'm doing. I work with the medical affairs group in, in a pharmaceutical company here in, in the area. The medical affairs group are the scientists, and so they're helping to direct research and things like that. So now it's more taking ideas that are interesting to me from a science standpoint and really kind of producing them, helping helping them figure out how to prioritize the ideas and, and find which ones have the most value and then build them into a project that we then execute. So for me, what I've discovered is that it's actually, it's a continuation of the same problem, how to take an idea, how to incubate it, and how to turn it into to a reality. So what I found that I really like to do and what's kind of becoming, what I'm trying to become an artist at is managing these incubator groups so i so this past season i've just tried to start a bunch of these incubator groups so there's a social justice incubator group there's a this arts you know the pig and weasel will continue to do that i'm trying to start another one that focuses on kid content um you know kid media and kid shows that's kind of been the 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 slow realization for me that i realized well yeah those 20 years I, i was actually being trained how to to do this process of taking an idea and making it a reality. You've got the pig and weasel now and it's what, fifth year going into its sixth season. Um, and you've got these incubator projects and a um, couple kids still at home, but they'll be gone in a couple of years or a few years. Where's all this going? Where, where do you want it to go? I still have no idea. Again, <laughs> I, I'm just in that let's start something and see what it leads to. And then it'll lead, to, it leads to something else. And then it leads to something else. And I'm always amazed at the people that we end up coming in contact with. I think that I, if I tried to be more proactive and, and nail down a more restrictive vision, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't get to see as many things as we're seeing now. Yeah, because I because I'm not smart enough to set a vision like that and make it and make it work. How did you come up with the name Pig and Weasel? You've heard the phrase "When pigs fly." Yeah, and I was also thinking about the the pop goes the weasel, the pig and weasel. We wanted it to sound like an English pub, but but it's where ideas pop, like pop goes the weasel, and and crazy dreams take flight, like when pigs fly. So nice. You know, you got to be proud of Emily and Ethan. They're they're letting their dreams fly or giving them a shot, taking some big chances. And you raised them and gave them the courage to do that. When you look back, would you have done anything differently in raising the kids or in your own career or any of the choices that you made? I think I, I wish that I would have taken risks a little earlier so they would get to kind of see that. I feel like I've learned more from them than I, they have from me, watching them kind of go out and do their thing. What have you learned from them? They're, they're kind of fearless. They're they're going for what they want. When there are risks and consequences, I've seen them pick themselves up and continue to move forward. They've kept their chin up. They've continued to focus on the positive. Emily's favorite phrase is no regrets. Awesome. So what a great way to live. You know, I've learned a lot from that. When you're laying in bed at night, is there anything out there you think you want to try that you haven't tried yet? Is there anything out there you think, God, I, I bet you we could really do this or we could really do that? Anything like that? come to mind? Oh yeah. I want to, I want to have a puppetry troupe of my own. I want to make some films. A, pu- a puppetry? Did you say puppetry troupe? Yeah. I think there's a huge market. I think there's a potential for, for puppetry, puppetry theater because it, because you can scale puppetry theater. Uh, you can make it tiny. You know, you can make a little like organ grinder monkey size thing that you wear on your chest and go walk around at the Lincoln park zoo and scare the crap out of little kids. <laughs> or you can you can get 
You could you could get a huge warehouse and create this huge ginormous building size puppet or or puppet set so that people are immersed in the whole experience. To me, the the scale is so flexible that the possibilities are endless. You're talking about being the next Jim Henson or uh, and you know a few years ago Avenue Q was a huge success on Broadway. That sort of brought the puppet thing back, I guess. No, mine would be more weird. <laughs> You're just not drawn to anything conventional, are you? I like Pop-Tarts. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you think about what, what you've been through so far, when you think about your lowest moment so far um, and what you've had to go through to get to this point, uh, I'm curious what that was. And then I'll ask the double-edged sword, you know, what were your best moments? What were your highest moments? The, probably the biggest personal low moment is when, you know, when, you're, when anybody's out of work, you second-guess yourself and the decisions you made, and particularly if you've got people that are depending on you, like with a family, so that, that was pretty low. The, the high points, though, I, I'm, I'm just really enjoying watching um, like my wife's success now and, and the older kids kind of finding their way, and then the, the kids at home even, figuring out what they're good at and figuring out a way to be able to start something that's going to kind of continue through their, that particularly with the younger too, I'm like, you know, instead of waiting to the end of your college career to start something, start something now in high school that kind of carries you through college and kind of more shapes your college experience. I don't really feel like I did that. I feel like I more waited for college to happen to me. Yeah, I'm still waiting for everything else to happen to me too. That's the problem. <laughs> but uh, I know what you mean. What would you have done? What What do you wish you would have done, whether it was high school, college, or early in your career that, that you didn't do? Well, Chris, I think uh, I would have tried to start a rock band, you and me and... <laughs> Some of those Why was guys. I in the rock band? I can't play any instruments. Well, we were all singing together. You, know, you got to start somewhere. Uh, I, do, I do remember you. I think you were the driving force behind this. After high school, we, you know, the group we were in, the Varsity Voice, was kind of a vocal jazz, a lot of harmonies, four-part harmony kind of stuff. And uh, I, I wasn't a good singer, but I was just along for the ride because you guys were fun to hang out with. But I think after we graduated, was it you and a couple guys tried to put an all-guys group together to do vocal harmony stuff? And I remember, I think, being even at your house trying to rehearse Billy Joel's For the Longest Time. And we had an arrangement, and we all had our parts and everything, but we were screwing around and having so much fun just being idiot 19-year-olds. We never really got the song down, and it never went anywhere. Is that? Do you remember that? I vaguely remember that. Yeah. So, so I guess what you're saying is you wish that had taken off and we'd become famous and, and <laughs> oh, yeah. basically, basically a boys band from Kentwood, Michigan. That's what we would have. Would been. have been the first and only. That's incredible. We just have to take really serious dance lessons. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, we were a bunch of white guys. We couldn't move. Well, here's something I find interesting. I know you went to Wheaton College and uh, and you guys uh, came from um, an area of uh, Michigan that's very uh, it's called Christian, you know, very conservative Christian area. Uh, what kind of role has religion religion played. I mean, um, you go to Wheaton College, that's a serious religious college. I mean, there's a lot of theology and things involved with, with going to that school. Um, what role has religion kind of played throughout the course of your life? It's provided a framework um, for how I view my responsibility to the people around me, um, both in my family, my neighbors, and 
even across borders, if you will. We're still members of a church. We've been we've been members for the past twenty five years. The same church that I started at as soon as I got out of college. It's here in Evanston. A lot of the activities that I've been talking about, that the community that kind of has um, helped get those things going, were, were friends of mine that came out of that faith community. So it's it's very much been a part of everything that I just talked about, even to the point of, you know, when we first started, the faith group that we're part of, they meet a lot in people's homes. So in terms of a model about how to, how to run a pig and weasel, about how to run, you know, weekly or monthly parties for a group of 40 to 50 people, we kind of had that down. And, and the people from, that would come from, from the church would know how to help out. They knew how to run the bar. <laughs> they knew how to, you know, how to meet people at the door and make sure that they felt welcome coming in and sitting down. So it wasn't kind of a, there was no um, ulterior motive to proselytize or anything like that. They just, you know, they just knew how to have a party with people. So it was very, it was very much a part of how that all worked together. But everything is practice for something else. And little things build to bigger things. So we're going to throw three quick questions at you, which uh, in the last few episodes has become a tradition here on Middle Ground. But before we do that, I have to ask, are you still doing, uh, is it bow tie Fridays at work? Didn't you institute that at your office? You know, I did, uh, but <laughs> then I changed employers, and <laughs> and then I ha- I haven't done it really since then. I'm still making the bow ties, but but yeah, that was that was one of my uh, back. I was at a different pharmaceutical company and trying to build my brand a little bit. <laughs> build your brand <laughs> internally. Think the amount of people in this country that can actually tie a bow tie the way it's supposed to be tied. You can probably count on one hand. I don't think there's, oh, I think yeah. it's in single digits. Two words, Bill Nye. Look up Bill Nye on YouTube. He's got like 50 videos. Bill Nye has videos on YouTube of how to tie a bow tie? Yeah. Wow, he's multi-talented. That's all I learned. I watched Bill Nye. That's cool. He doesn't tell you how to make one, though. I had to learn that by myself. So you make your own bow ties. And I have to say, you're the only man I know under the age of 75 who can really pull off a bow tie. You know, it's just that you just got to find the right bow tie for you. Boy, this this might be a whole other episode. Yeah. I think finding finding the right bow tie for you yeah. is. Uh, I mean, I've got future. some, but they're all props. Mine always either spin or squirt water, so it's from the old clown days. <laughs> but that's another podcast. Well, and once the clips get loosened <laughs> up, they just fall off. All right, so three quick ones. I'm going to give you an easy one. Well, not an easy one, but it's a real uh, kind of a fun little question. But Todd, what did you want to be when you grow up? Uh, I grew up in the Jimmy Carter era, and I wanted to build a better crap digester for poor people in Africa. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, it wasn't such an easy question after all. A better what? Did you say crap digester? A lot of the um, farmers don't have or need power, so there's a way to take animal waste and digest it so that you can burn the methane to either cook with or produce electricity. So back in the 70s, I was fascinated by alternative power, and I wanted to either be an, an architect that was was doing that kind of work, integrating those sorts of alternative power sources, or I, I wanted to go to Africa. And I don't know why I picked Africa, because there's people that need help everywhere, but that that was kind of what I thought I was going to do. 
See, this is what I love about Middle Ground. We don't have people on here who say, I wanted to be a fireman when I was a kid. Astronaut. Astronaut. No. I mean, no. when you're young, when you're young, the whole point is at that at a, that age to give yourself permission to really dream, to really go big. But no, you want to help the people in Africa. I respect that. I really do. I That's, uh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Like I said, I think I said this before. When I was that age, I was still trying to figure out how to rip the head off my GI Joe. I mean, it's but still we still working. We still keep working we keep it. having these guests on here that that want to change the world and actually give it a shot and do do cool stuff. That's, well, this is that's a good amazing. platform to do that. Let me ask you this: if you could if you could attempt any one thing. Um, Knowing that you wouldn't fail, you could try anything out there that you wanted to do, and you would not fail at it. What would you like to give? What would you like to give? Uh, give the old college try to. All right, this is gonna sound goofy, but I I want to start a hotel chain that <laughs> whose whose target uh, clientele are what I would call neo nomads and uh, eco tourists. So that would be neo nomads for me are like really basically homeless people and eco tourists are those people who are wanting to dematerialize a little bit, travel across the country more simply. The idea is to use the, to capitalize on the tiny home movement and build, build these little tiny homes and kind of coordinate that. That's, that's my, that's my new big idea. Boy, if you could combine that with the uh, better way to digest crap for the people in Africa, I don't know. You might have some sort of combo offering there. I, I don't know what the, what. I don't know. The more I think about these answers, though, <laughs> I, the more I think, and what you just said, Chris, we're the incubators. We're, yes. we're where people come to try this stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, wow. All right. I, I'm. I think you're probably going to answer this next question in a more conventional way. But if you had to choose one song that best represents your childhood, what would it be? So when I was my son's age. My youngest son's age, so seventh grade, and I got my first radio. I think the first song I memorized was Billy Joel's um, She's Got Away. So that song kind of nice puts me in that space. Boy, we've got that's the second mention of Billy Joel on this episode. That's impressive. Todd, thanks, man. It was uh, very cool of you to come on here. And, you know, I think everybody has learned what I already knew before the past few minutes that you are a thinker. Crazy. And a, 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 no, no, not at all. You're you're a thinker and a dreamer. And uh, and I know you say schemer all the time, but like they, they say, you throw enough mud on the wall, some of it's going to stick. And you're pretty good at throwing all kinds of mud on that wall that, that people wouldn't even think of. I, I commend you for that. And I, I would say this, and you said, Chris said you weren't crazy, but I, I'll, I'll clarify that. You are crazy, <laughs> but the good kind, you know what I mean? I think there's two kinds of crazy. There's destructive, and then there's creative, and uh, the creative is the it's good It's like kind. cholesterol. So, there's like good cholesterol a- and bad cholesterol. <laughs> well, in any event, you're the good kind, Todd. So keep on doing it, keep on dreaming it, and keep on trying That's right. It. That's and awesome. so if, folk, if folks want to track down uh, shows at the Pig and Weasel, I know you guys have two coming up one in may and i think there's one scheduled in june uh the pig and you're also on twitter as pig and weasel we'll put all this in the description of the podcast too on soundcloud and uh and on itunes so and of course uh chris and i can be reached at chris and chris mg at gmail.com todd thanks again thanks guys for having me thanks todd appreciate it have a good week everybody thanks for joining us she's got a smile that heals me it is but I have to laugh when she reveals me 
she's got a way of talking mm, I don't know why it is But it lifts me up when we are walking anywhere Comes to me when I'm feeling down Inspires me Without a sound she touches me And I get turned around She's got a way of showing mm, How I make her feel And I find the strength to keep on going She's got a lot